Did you know that the original Final Fantasy creator, Hironobu Sakaguchi, made a spiritual successor to that legendary series called Fantasian for Apple Arcade, and every level in the game is a handmade, physical miniature model. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing, and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au forward slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today at sifter.com.au forward slash arcade for a one month free trial of Apple Arcade and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. This offer is for new subscribers only $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. Today's podcast is brought to you by audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30 day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash pixel sift. There's over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Hello and welcome back to the very first Pixel Sift for 2017. It's our 59th episode. My name is Gianni and back with me are Scott and Mitch. Hey, hey. Hey. Joining us live over the internet is Sam Itso from Polyphonic LP, who you may remember also joined us in episode 48 when we spoke about No Mario Sky. Sam, thanks for joining us. No worries. Pleasure to be here. Uh, we'll be talking all about Sam's new game, Resynth, a little bit later in the show. But Mitch, what else are we chatting about today? Yeah, we'll be also having a look at the concept of the game of the year, and I'm not actually really sure that subtitle means much. <laughs> well, we'll find out. Our, um, and our first topic for today, we'll be looking at the gaming licenses and what happens when those licenses expire. Great. Mm. Let's dive in, shall we? <laughs> That's it, you are. Uh, and if you've, have you ever had game assets change on you? Or maybe you've had a game that was removed from catalog before you even got the chance to get your hands on it. If so, you can relate to our first topic for the day, which will be looking at license liquidations, when games are changed or removed due to licensing issues. Now, this has popped up for a couple of ones uh, recently. There's uh, a couple of games from Activision. Uh, namely the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Fast and the Furious franchises, which have obviously come to some kind of licensing and and have been pulled. I mean, thankfully. Thankfully. <laughs> have the, either I don't know you if you've played that Fast and the Furious game. Have it's... you seen the games? Uh, well, you it's, know. It's something... a game. Is it? Yeah. They're the, definitely games. The, yeah, technically sure. the characters in there that you would may recognize from... Uh, you know, other franchises. I think this is the interesting thing about that for, for a lot of companies, um, you know, doing a licensed game or, or, you know, making a product that features other people's characters is, you know, important part of business and that's what they do to, to make a crust. Think about uh, game, uh, companies like Traveller's Tales, for example, who make all the Lego games. Uh, they've got the license for Lego, but eventually down the track, maybe they might not have the license for some of the other titles that they have and pr- potentially down the track, you may not be able to play Lego Jurassic World or Lego... So that, that is legitimately upsetting because Lego generally are, are put the name is put towards pretty good quality games, but for these ones particularly, um, specifically, they're all a little bit money grabby. It seems they're not very good games, just with the with, the, with a bit of a like you know name slapped on the side of it. I've always wondered. That's why. how I feel anyway about it. Because <laughs> well, I do. I mean, that if that I is a big 
Yeah, Sorry, that's a big part, isn't it, of, of movies coming out and, and, you know, shows coming out and they, they have to get a game out as well as part of the tie-in, I guess, especially if it's a big blockbuster, I guess. One but, of the best examples yeah. of that I can think of in the recent times is when Rick and Morty first came out and blew up very quickly and there was um, they actually called it the extremely rushed, um, you know, um, Rick and Morty pocket game or something like this. Yeah, uh, yeah. I can't remember. I wish I knew. The yeah, yeah. That was it. Was pretty good. Yeah, but again, not actually that bad a game. And they called yeah. out all their kind of uh, dodgy bits before anyone else could. I guess. I well, think it's interesting as well that I remember there's that famous story about Monty Python that they released a, a like a comedy album and it, they called it uh, Contractual Obligations or something to that effect, basically, yeah. <laughs> because as yeah. part of the license for these big franchises that they were involved with, they had to you know bring out a whole bunch of other media, and you know some of this includes licenses that that do expire and then that do have a finite date on them i, I think that, that's I, it. No. i've always wondered why licensed video games kind of just weren't up to standard with like games that are actually made to be games uh, could this be because that licenses just expire and they know this so it's like why why put in the effort well, I mean, I think it's interesting when you talk about the way that things are, are basically made, right? So, for example, you know, you might think of all the, you know, Saturday morning TV shows that you would remember from from your youth. Um, but most of those TV shows existed because they have a toy line attached to them. And the fact that the TV show exists is basically not the, the main piece of work, but maybe it's what people remember. But, you know, you wouldn't watch Transformers on TV unless it was a, a line of Transformers toys and it was effectively a big ad. That's true. So, you know, these yeah. other aspects of, of, say, for example, one of the ones, the titles that got taken away was the Deadpool franchise um, by, by for Activision. Um, you know, big factor of that was um, Disney uh, and uh, EA signed a big deal with all the Star Wars titles and, of course, uh, Deadpool is a Marvel character owned by D- Disney. So you never know in the background whether these licensing agreements are saying that, you know, EA is now going to get access to all the, you know, X-Men franchise titles as they come out in the future and it's sort of a complex world. But, you know, in the days where we had discs where you put into your console, um, when you've got an online store, it becomes very obvious when a game disappears and yeah. it's no longer yeah. available. Yep. I was just thinking about that actually how, yeah, in the in the days of box retail, like if a license expired, well, you know, you don't know because they probably haven't manufactured a disc in two years or something anyway, but now it's like the license has expired. Oh, we can't really, we can't have this product on our digital storefront anymore. So it's like everyone knows about it, don't they? I mean, and that is the huge part. I've said it again. I've said it before and I'll say it again, but this is one of the issues that people are facing when they're using the streaming services and they need to understand what they're actually signing up for that, that you don't own these games in any kind of way, shape or form. You're basically just renting them from this service provider for as long as that provider wants to give you that service. Um, perfect example of something outside the gaming world this recently happened to me um, I've got the streaming video streaming service Stan and they just pulled uh, the 90s sitcom Mad About You away from its library which I'm t- totally upset about but obviously not enough people are cause, <laughs> I used to love that show actually yeah same but like you know, <laughs> you know I'm paying for that service and they've taken that yeah. away from me it, 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 I still have to pay for the service it's not they're not obligated to give me that but away from that, it's not always just um, the whole creative um, asset. It might just be uh, from other kind of areas of creativity and art. So with the San Andreas um, pulling all the music from 
their or changing all their assets for the music about uh, their late in 2014, I think it was. Yeah, so all of these things have you know long term contracts in which they've signed a, a yeah. license agreement themselves. Well, they're flat rate contracts, so yeah. they only last for however long they thought that game would be popular for, which you know is going to be a maximum of 10 years, and that's pretty generous. So, did they put new music in, or did they have placeholder music, or is there just no radio in it anymore? I that- think GTA, they've haven't they? Is it still available? I think with new music now. I think. Yeah, so I, I yeah. haven't actually played a new version of it, but I mean, they can't just have no music. They would have some music, yeah. probably a more yeah. slimline skeleton version of their catalogue mm. and maybe with not all the biggest hits or the more expensive ones maybe. Mm. But so GTA is still available, but some of those other games are just completely not available at all now, right? Like Turtles and Fast and the Furious. And- Absolutely. Yeah. So like that, obviously they're not going to, uh, you know, get rid of the whole San Andreas game just because of the music, yeah. but it is a huge part of why people bond with games like that i think it's interesting as well that you you know who would have thought that a game like san andreas uh would still be in this position where it can be sold in into new audiences and new uh new customers in you know a decade after it had kind of come out you know if you think about a game that came out 10 years ago most of the time they probably would have thought oh well we'll just be having the discs exactly as you put it sam you know the disc would be sitting in a in a bargain bin or a a platinum collection or something like that and that'd be it it'd be only a physical manufacturer but being able to have them online and distributed Mm. in other ways means that you do have to have these considerations when you're thinking about the longevity of your game it'd be interesting Mm. to see how like would an original copy of gta san andreas be now illegal to sell because well, I mean, if you had inventory of it, no, because you, with with those, you by buying that disc, it's a licensed product as well. If you think about it, and the physical, yeah. you're you're you own the physical disc, but the software itself you don't own, and the you know the music itself you don't own. It's like you can't Perfect. go out and yep. make as many copies of it because you own a disc with a CD. That's you, true. There's a sort of a gray area, but, well, but I'm talking like if they had like uh, let's I, say EB had like inventory, stock. Like they found yeah, like fifty okay. copies and they wanted to put them on the shelf. I wonder if they could. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm sure they could, but is it a better service? Because you could just put on you know, 90s era uh, mm. Spotify playlist that's and true. play that at the same time as you're playing GTA San Andreas and that will probably be, if not a better experience than, than the songs that were licensed but at the time. Again, they, they uh, EB don't own the software or the licenses either. They're just that's kind true. of just another step in the process. So mm-hmm. I don't think that would be an issue at all. It's very interesting. I think mm. we, uh, you know, there's plenty of good examples out there. One of my... Um, one of the actually, when you're talking about movie tie-in games, they brought out a Scott Pilgrim side-scrolling uh, game done by uh, uh, Paul Robertson, who has uh, done a lot of sort of pixel-style art of that era, um, and soundtrack by a, a band called Animanaguchi, who do a lot of chiptune stuff. And there's so many licenses involved with that 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 now doesn't exist. And when we were researching the story, I looked it up, and, and we, I happened to see that popped up on the list as a game that isn't available anymore and i'm really glad that i've got it sitting on my xbox somewhere that it is still available because you know i'm not going to get the opportunity to play that game and it was really really good so, so if you connected mm. your xbox then to the internet would it wipe it well no it won't because i think what's happened with this is that if you remember years ago uh, amazon with their kindles had a particularly hilarious example where they lost the license for one of the publishers to sell the online version of George Orwell's 1984 (laughs) and then pulled 1984 off everyone's Kindle. 
and got into <laughs> a lot of trouble for that. And I think that's the sort of thing that, you know, people are going to re- react to. So I think once it's like owning a disc physically, you know, you can have an original vinyl pressing of one of the Beatles albums. Mm-hmm. The Beatles aren't going to come to your house and bash you up and take your vinyl away. Would, if you, would they if they could though? Well, Do you think they would? Well, you know, maybe we'll get to a, you know, a level of technology where it's easy for Robo Ringo to come along and, <laughs> and sort you out. Um, but, you know, that's the sort of the way that it is. And, you know, this sort of... But people have to kind of keep in mind that these licensing deals do expire. And that's because people should be paid for the things that they have done and created. And it's not fair for you to buy one thing once and use it infinitely for a million different things. So on that note, shall we jump into our next topic? Great. Now I'm worried about Robo Ringo. (laughs) Hey, this is Fabian Malabello, the director of the Other World Agency, and you're listening to Pixel Sift. We are joined via the internet by Sam Itso. He is from Polyphonic LP. He's one half of the team of Polyphonic LP. Now, Sam, we've been talking a little bit about music and licensing and all that sort of stuff, and you are currently making a musically-based puzzle game called Resynth. Now, could you tell us a little bit about that? So Resynth is a um, a, a mashup of uh, the classic box-pushing puzzle game Sokoban with a step sequencer. Uh, people may not know what either of those things are, though, I think. So um, uh, it's essentially kind of a, a synthesizer that's been turned into a game, I guess, is kind of what it really is. And so you talk about it being a bit of a mashup. And, you know, the last time we had you on the show, we were talking about mashups as well with No Mario, <laughs> yes. no Mario Sky. What was the inspiration to kind of combine the two together? What made you think that this could be a fun game? It's kind of come out of a couple of things. The main thing is uh, Andy is... Um, my partner who's away in Chile at the moment, but he's working on a PhD uh, investigating synesthetic approaches to game design. And so this was actually um, part of his PhD research that we decided to turn into a full product. We were looking for something that we wanted to do that we could build together. Um, so it was partly his PhD work. And um, as part of his PhD work, he had found this uh, online flash um, tool called Tone Matrix, which if you Google it, it's just a free um, synthesizer. And it, you can see where the origins of the game are if you look at Tone Matrix. Um, so Andy was doing all his PhD, this, this study into um, basically how color and sound, uh, how color and sound affect people's perception of difficulty. So he's, he's built a bunch of prototypes and I've helped him out and worked on a couple of his prototypes for him. And so we just finally decided that this one was something we were going to take and spin it out into something. We were kind of inspired also by uh, that game company and how they sort of turned a lot of their uh, Genova Chan and his and their research. Uh, they were doing a PhD study and whatever, and they sort of turned that stuff into games as well. So, so Sam, are you uh, telling me that I'm not terrible at the game? You've just set up the music so that it makes me feel like I am terrible at it. <laughs> it could possibly be. Yeah, <laughs> I mean. We're trying to actually. That's something we're struggling with at the moment, which is uh, easing the player into it. And um, initially, we didn't really explain anything, and we we really we both really like this concept of of investigative sort of play and discovering things, and not telling the player how to do absolutely everything. Sam, don't let but him put we, that on you. Don't let him put it on you. Your game is <laughs> yeah. Well, we kind of eventually realised that uh, we have to have a little bit of a tutorial. So uh, yeah, we've added a little tutorial now. So. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think, I mean, when you're talking about that, that's one of the things you said that you were, you know, keen to have that you were trying to throw people into it. How does it feel kind of making a change like that to say, well, you know, we are moving away from that original vision that we had? It was a little disappointing, but also it, it was kind of a realistic decision because 
we we do want we we don't we don't have any illusions about this game setting the world on fire because it's it is kind of a niche title a niche product and it's our first product together as our own studio that and that's it's part of a sort of a part of it going to be part of our folio of, of games hopefully but we also wanted to reach as wide an audience as possible so we decided that yeah we really do have to make it this sort of onboarding process a little easier for players to get into it and hopefully hopefully discover the game and and enjoy it so yeah it was a disappointing but realistic i think no the game is really enjoyable uh music is really great uh, and just of awesome quality as well i found um what sort of drum machines and th- synthesizers were used for the instruments and sequencing uh i well i don't actually know because uh, we've got we hired a sound guy um who was actually one of andy's students uh at swinburne because andy teaches at swinburne and um, Jeremy Burns is his name. Uh, I don't. I will, should get his Twitter handle out there somewhere. But so he he just did all the design, sound design for us, and um, tweaked sounds. I guess he used some kind of soft synth. I don't know what he was working in actually. Probably Reason. I think, but, yeah, yeah, nice. I, I was interested because I know you do have a jazz background yourself, Sam. I thought that maybe you would be uh, a little bit more involved in the musical side of things. Um, if not, I did. Yeah, well, see, the thing is, I did want to be more involved in it, and I would have liked to have done even... So the, the way we do the levels is we... Um, Andy finds some some track that he really likes and sort of decomposes it into a level and deconstructs it and turns it into something else. Yeah. And I would have liked to have composed some levels myself and composed some things myself, but I'm also doing all the programming and all the technical stuff, so it's hard to, it's hard to do everything. Yeah, so you I have, have to, to step back at some I point. I really didn't want to, but I had to let that go. Well, maybe so. you can have a resynth too. We can have a couple of extra bonus levels, uh, the Sam specials. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. Um, so th- there's different colors uh, representation of the, representing different sounds. But I didn't ever quite lock d- down whether they meant they were different instruments or anything. Um, I noticed the X switch tends to be a percussion, but I haven't really played it enough to lock it all down. Do the do the colors specifically lead to uh, any other you know specific musical sound? Um, so the colors um, dictate really the um, kind of the pitch, I guess. So down the bottom, it's lower and deeper and up the top it's higher Um, and it goes through I think two or three ish octaves Um, and it's a uh, for the musical nerds it's a it's a pentatonic scale so any combination kind of sounds good Mm. Um, and yeah so the color so that's part and that was also part of Andy's or is part of Andy's PhD research where the darker colors are kind of deeper sounds and and that's kind of this concept of synesthesia as well. Um, no, that's great. I, will, I did want to ask, and it's a shame that we couldn't get Andy on the show today because I did yeah. want to kind of understand, uh, understand the proper tie-in and relationship between the sounds and colors in recent, um, just obviously because he's, he's studying synesthesia. Yeah, yeah. Maybe next time. Maybe yeah. next time. But, but uh, yeah, it's a re- really interesting side of it and I think it's a, a kind of interesting thing to be pushing out into the gaming area, you know, an expertise of um, something that's a little bit outside of games. Yeah, and I think also in the mobile space that tends to to work pretty well. There are lots of sort of small, uh, you know, things that you spend a bit of time on, and you can be a bit creative with it. And we have seen some really creative stuff come out of uh, Australia and the world. That's true. Um, Sam, you were talking about this being a sort of like a portfolio work for uh, moving on into the future with Polyphonic LP. What is the sort of grand master plan of uh, of, of your forward motion? Um, I guess it's to make millions of dollars and retire on a beach somewhere, but no. <laughs> um, <ours> too. We, <laughs> we've, we want to, we want to make games and we want to be, 
self-sufficient. We want to be making our own games and not have to rely on contract work or doing other things. And um, this is kind of the first step to that. So we we worked together at Blue Tongue on um, a Melbourne studio for quite a few years, and we worked on De Blob One and Two, which was kind of a musical game as well. Um, and so that so we've got this kind of in our blood a little bit, I guess, in some ways, um, with the music and and the games and everything. So. We want to do more of those these sorts of games, I guess, um, that kind of combine music in some way. Not necessarily all synchronized with music, but somehow combines a musical element with gameplay. So, and it might not always be on iOS. We've got another. We've got sort of an idea of the next project after Resynth, which will be on iOS. But um, we've got sort of bigger scope plan plans for projects that would probably be a PC release rather than. a mobile yeah that's fantastic i'm really excited about the kind of um the sound related games that are happening even just within the australian gaming industry and i'm um, tying it up with something interesting so it's, it's as interesting as synesthesia and color is a great way to go rotor color runner that was another really good one that i kind of popped into my oh, okay. head that's don't know that, yeah. well not the same thing that's really unfair mixed uh you know the concept of sound and light and yeah. colors and all uh, that basically sort of people are doing something of of, of res infinite type um stature but, uh, yeah. but on an indie game uh level um, that's exciting to me <laughs> very yeah. good super yeah. exciting now sam you're going on a bit of a semi world tour um soon but <laughs> and so the game should be out just a little bit after You've done that. Um, where should people go if they want to find out a bit more information about Polyphonic LP and Resynth? So, so you can check out our website, which is www.polyphoniclp.com, all one word. Um, and you can sign up to our mailing list. We, we've actually put it on, uh, on Greenlight and we've got through Greenlight. So we'll be putting it, doing a Steam, a Steam release at some point after the uh, mobile release is out. Um, yeah, and I'm going to GDC. I'm going to show it around there a bit. And hopefully after GDC, we'll be releasing it sort of late March, I think is what we're kind of aiming for. So, so head to polyphoniclp.com, have a look at Sam's face on there and find him in uh, GDC and say, hey, show us your game. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Yep. Well, let's uh, jump into our next topic. Uh, topic. Sam, stick with us. Pixel Sift. Pixel Sift. No, seriously, Pixel Sift. <laughs> no, seriously. Pixel Sift. So, games of the year, marketing ploy or legitimizing of the medium, with almost every media outlet on the net stating their claim on the best. Does the award mean anything? And when it's plastered onto multiple titles? Well, well, there are about fifty game of the year awards that I uh, follow and witness <laughs> over the year. <laughs> And that's um, just the ones you follow. There's probably like another uh, 10 Yeah, no, they're, the, they're the ones I will pay attention to. Uh, and I, like from the BAFTA-esque British Academy Game Awards, <laughs> like to the media-based awards of IGN and Kotaku and Polygon and whoever else, mm-hmm. um, there's plenty out there worth listening to. And do you know what? There's plenty worth out there that's worth not listening to as well. Um, I don't think there's much except for, um, you know, the general kind of skim of what was good from the year to take from it. Everyone's got their opinions. I think like any end of year list, you know, you could say the same thing for big music lists like the Triple J yep. Hottest 100. Yeah. Um, you know, there's always going to be people who think that they, they are worth it, they're, they're not, but they're always for a specific audience and a particular group of people. It, but there's also like 
I don't know. I, I have a really short memory and I <laughs> yep. often forget uh, when things have come out. And in many years in these uh, contests of uh, ranking of the years, I will quite often go, oh, yeah, that was a great track. Oh, it actually came From out two years three ago. years ago. Yeah. Um, I, just <laughs> I only really just got around to it Yeah, though. I just really like it now. I'm just <laughs> way like, behind the curve. I'm only just getting finally into Destiny. I'm like, ah, it's not my game of the year, but I probably played it the most towards yeah. the end of last year. I think it's important to distinguish what we're talking about here. Like game of the year as a concept and then as a marketing tool. Yeah. So it's like when you see it on the box, it really never really tells you who gave them the award. Sometimes you wonder whether they gave it to them themselves. Oh, because it doesn't really matter. Like it really doesn't. Like when you see those all those bottles of wine at the shop, and they've all got stickers on them that they won something at somewhere at some probably county dairy farm in middle of nowhere. That means nothing. I'm sure some of those bottles of wines may have won. Are we about to get heaps of emails from wineries? (laughs) (laughs) That's not you know it doesn't really mean anything but th- something i do like about the game of the year uh re-releases and stuff like that it's as far as far as a marketing ploy goes it gives people the opportunity to that didn't buy the game the first time to kind of buy it and, and, and realize that it's, it was worth the value to people but also you get it with all the the, the latest updates you get it with all the, the newest things and it's usually at a reduced price so it gives people a chance to enter that gaming area and market with uh, that they might not have otherwise done so. I agree. It's all about secondary sales, Scott. Yes. Well put there. <laughs> Long-winded uh, version. I mean, if I, sales, if I had yeah. a game that, if I had a game that had game of the year, I'd totally put it all over the, you know, the wreath on the, on the front of the box and all that. That'd be yeah. awesome. Well, well Pixel we says game of the year. Of course you would. <laughs> do you, what do you think about them, Sam? Do you think, uh, you know, is it something that you follow and you think about, when, I, when you're playing games or when you're looking at no i don't really follow it i mean i i i have bought game of the year editions before just because like you know that's going to have everything bundled into it yeah and it's going to be it's a full bundle. bundle it's great yeah yeah but yeah apart from that no i mean it's so hard to, how can you pick one game for the whole year really like so much awesome stuff comes out like the triple j hottest 100 kind of there's a hundred at least there. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. Uh, and I think another problem with uh, games of the year is, is like context. You've got so many different levels of games. Like your exactly. triple A titles, you, you're gonna see the same ones in every single game of the year. Like you're gonna see, you're gonna see Overwatch. You're probably going to see Battlefield. You're probably going to see Doom, and you might see some Forza, Uncharted, and maybe even some Pokemon Go if they're doing the mobile awards. Mm. Those ones will be in basically every friggin' list. It's a popularity contest. Basically, yep. yeah. Who's got the most money to buy the most friends? And Not saying yeah. that they're buying friends, but, you know, it is a big thing that obviously if a game is out yes, there so. in front of as many eyes as possible. Activision, Blizzard, we, we need some money. Yeah. <laughs> we'll make you game of the year. Yeah, you can Well, see, Blizzard, beautiful. They're, they're going to win a bunch of things no matter what, um, you know, for art style, for their wicked uh, ability of brand recognition. Game uh, design just, is phenomenal. And follow... Um, but, you know, like I was saying, Battlefield 1 impressed me with their uh, new mode operations. I thought that was one of the best multiplayer kind of modes of the year. Not games, but a mode that was available through a game. I think that was amazing. And again, Res, I mean, Res Infinite, I think the music and sound design was great. Go on, Sam. Yeah, I mean, un- undoubtedly all those huge titles, uh, they've got big budgets and marketing and they're all good games and they're all pretty polished games. But, yeah, it'd be good to see more at, you know, out of the way games getting getting noticed well, for game yeah like something like inside or you know um, 
something that's a little out of out of the left field, I guess. I was about to say, Sam, uh, Inside won a lot of um, independent awards, along even, s- uh, 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 and, and artistic ones as well. A lot, as, as Firewatch as well was another one. Uh, Star, that, Stardew Valley, which is a one one man team who made that game, yeah. uh, repeatedly uh, reportedly had just made over twenty four million dollars on Steam. I saw that. Sales, oh. um, but also it was picked up for a number of the high profile games of the years yeah. because it has you know cut through but you know i think this is the thing is that a, a list is going to be exclusionary in its nature anyway right yeah. so not everyone can be on a list because otherwise it's just every game yeah. that came out of the year you know what i mean which isn't isn't a definitive ranking and people want yeah. things to be ranked because you know you only have a certain amount of time to play games so you want to make sure that you're, the games you're playing are the best ones and maybe that means that you do miss out on some of these other titles that don't have the you know Thinking There's something in there of mm. you, you wanting to play the best games as well, like or the but games you play, you want them to be validated. I don't want to waste best. my time yeah. with any of these subpar games. But, I want to play the know, games of the year. That's why people care. I about want them. the number one game. I don't want number two. Yeah. Well, like harking back to one of our original conversations is: Do <laughs> video games need that one award? Like, for example, movies have the Oscars and things yeah. like that. Do do does that industry need that? To finally settle the argument yeah, and you're right. finally we, we, settle it we once have and for all. On the idea that yeah. there are lots of game awards or lots of people that could have put them out before as well. Yeah. Um, well, you know, people at the Golden Globes are probably pretty sad that you said that the Oscars are the one thing of the year. So <laughs> well, I mean, Meryl Streep will be sad. There are, I mean, there are multiple ones, but like, games seem to be the only medium that have almost infinite number of people dishing out the game of the year. Yeah, but I think it's in in the same way that, so for example, you know, you probably don't remember this, but there used to be these things called magazines, right? Yeah. Magazines (laughs) used to have different. Like those things with paper and the pictures? Yeah. It came out monthly or sometimes weekly. Yeah. Anyway, they used to have lots of different top tracks of the year. And, you know, depending on which magazine you purchased, you were going to get the top tracks of the year. You may not make the Rolling Stone number you know, one, but you might make some other Australian music um, magazine of the year. You know, it just depends on the audience. So I think with games as well, because it is so broad, Mm -hmm. um, it's not, um, but I mean, it is mass market. I can sort of uh, see the argument for both really, you know, I don't know. Who knows what's going on? Maybe (laughs) we just like call the whole thing off. Stuff it. Yeah. Yeah. For weekend, too close to the weekend for Gianni. Exactly. I don't know. (laughs) We do this every week. Like what you like, I guess. Um, yeah, I think it's really interesting. I think there is a, a, you know, I guess there can be sort of a funny marketing argument that these things aren't, you know. Look, w- one day, um, I mean, the gaming industry uh, worldwide is only getting bigger and uh, more uh, noticeable and also to take notice of. Um, and as, as esports grows and we become more unified, I guess, as a gaming world, um, something might come out that is just the one be-all, end-all of judgment. Could and we be. can have... Uh, you know, gaming globes. Well, look, games already make more money than movies, and you know yeah. we've already got the Oscars slash Golden Globes, so maybe we do need hundred US billion dollars. Exactly, I think it was hundred. Yeah, yeah give or take a couple of billion. You know, whatever. whatevs. Yeah, for that sort of money. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Sam. Look, thank you very much for joining us. We've reached the end of our episode. I guess anyone can kind of fall down on whatever direction of a lot of topics uh, they have, but no I worries. think we could all agree that uh, it was great to have you on the show. Fantastic. Uh, really great to be here. Yeah, thanks and very much for having me. To keep an eye out for Sam's game recent, which is coming out a little bit later in the year, not that much later, but very soon, um, you can head to polyphonicLP.com for that one or check it out on Steam Greenlight. Uh, we have a website. That website is 
pixelsift.com.au. On there, you'll find links to a bunch of the things we've talked about in the show. Um, you won't probably find our top 10 list, but maybe, maybe we'll put a top 10 list in there. Uh, we've got a bunch of different channels as well uh, online. Scott, we're on social media. What yeah. is our social media? On the social media, we are facebook.com forward slash pixelsift, twitter.com forward slash pixelsift, twitch.tv forward slash pixelsift, and youtube.com forward slash pixelsiftau. And Mitch, we have other older episodes as well. We've got 58 of them. Whereabouts can they be found? Yeah, so they can be found on our website or on any good podcast player of choice like iTunes, Pocket Casts, or just anyone that you find on your phone or cassettes. They're coming out soon. Yeah, Yeah, we're going to put them on cassettes. Analog, no licensing problems with that one. You can have them forever. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back again this time next week with another episode of Pixel Sift. I'm going to buy a magazine. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash Pixelsift. There's over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Did you know that the original Final Fantasy creator, Hironobu Sakaguchi, made a spiritual successor to that legendary series called Fantasian for Apple Arcade, and every level in the game is a handmade, physical miniature model. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing, and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au forward slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today at sifter.com.au forward slash arcade for a one month free trial of Apple Arcade and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. This offer is for new subscribers only $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled.